1: Hello again, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News Podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I am your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. We're coming to you on Tuesday, September 29th, and we're going to, uh, talk about the, the state of the 0-3 New York Giants. Lots of hysteria these days in the fan base, calls for Dave Gettleman's head, calls for the Giants to, to draft Trevor Lawrence. All sorts of, uh, all sorts of panic in the fan base with the Giants at 0 and 3. Here to help us sort of figure out the state of the Giants and, uh, where the Giants go from here is Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman. Dan, thank you very, very much for, uh, for coming on with me.
0: Oh, I'm happy to do it.
1: Hey, so, uh, let me, you know, let me put it this way. Ugly start to the season for the Giants, really. Well, really ugly game on Sunday, but when you stop and think about it, rookie head coach, the you know no off season on the field, shortened training camp, no preseason, difficult schedule you know to begin the year should we really have expected? A whole lot different you know from the Giants at at the beginning of of Joe Judge's tenure here
0: to me one of the harder parts is the head coach is one thing the coordinator changes are other ones you're talking about a a a large distinction in my opinion between Betcher and some of the previous defensive schemes um and then coming over here to what Patrick Graham and Joe are installing um, offensively there's some there's some language differences I think there's a lot of concept overlap but there's some language differences there I think the the answer to your question fortunately for me is I think you do expect that when you have enough continuity in the key position players you know you're not onboarding a new quarterback um, you're maintaining, you know, uh, a healthy chunk of the offensive line. In my opinion, I know Gates is moving to a new position, but he's um, he's been playing there most of your defensive linemen in that unit. Obviously, you've had around for a while now. The secondary, to me, is where I have the most kind of leeway in terms of the expectation versus reality because of all the variance there. You know, the rookie and Holmes playing, obviously bringing Bradbury in, uh, obviously trying to draft McKinney and add a piece there that hasn't made the field, picking up Yadam from Denver, trying to get him into the mix and up to speed. That's a group that I think that had kind of the lowest immediate expectations. Some of these other groups, you'd like to see um, some more consistency early on.
1: Yeah, but still, I look at it and I think we couldn't have expected the Giants to come roaring out of the gate, you know, winning all sorts of games and, and, and turn this thing around right away. It's like, uh, Joe Judge said the other day, there's no magic wand. There's no magic formula. And, and when you think about it, this is a team that went 12 and 36 the last three years. So it's not something that, that was going to turn around, you know, immediately.
0: No, I mean the, the immediacy of it, but this is also where we're at with the league. Um, everything's built on these twenty-four to thirty-six month calendars, and there's not a you know six-year plan. Um, you look at the you know the I mean, six years bring San Francisco to mind for me because that's what they when they brought in Lynch and Shanahan, they gave them both six-year matching contracts. But even still, they they weren't didn't expect it to take six years to do that, but they were just trying to lock them in step together as a, as a unit between the head coach and GM. Um, I just don't find ownership groups to be particularly patient. Obviously the giants are starting to have more turnover at, at top positions like GM and head coach than we have seen in a long time. Um, so they're starting to move some things around. So they're not clearly not as patient. I, I, I mean, I don't know how much, how much leeway you get in those things. I know when you're bringing in a new coach, but when you have these different timelines, it becomes an interesting dynamic because the GM's on a different timeline than the head coach, and which timeline is ownership using as their measuring stick? Is it the roster construction and where that's at? Well, that's not in its first year. Are we talking about the roster construction needed a complete overhaul to match a new coaching system? If that was the selling point, then yeah, then they might be looking at this on a two to three year piece. And that's a a question for the, the Mars and the Tishes that uh, would really dictate the lens. We should look at this out. Did they, you know, did they bring this all together thinking that we just need a, a change in coaching to get these players going, or do we need to completely redo the build, build in a different way in the light of this coach. And now we're resetting the clock to that 24 to 36 months from this
1: point. And, and that's the hard question for me, Dan, is, you know, we, everybody, everybody wants Dave Gettleman's head right now, and we'll get into a little bit more on, on Gettleman, but, you know, because as you said, Gettleman's had three off seasons now, but are the Giants at a beginning in your mind, or are they... In the middle, I look at it like you almost have to, you you almost you can't completely discount it, but you almost have to look at at this as as yet another restart, yet another beginning, you know, with the Giants with it with a new coaching staff and all the new schemes. You can't maybe throw out the last two years, but I I kind of look at it like you have to look at this as a starting point. You agree with me or disagree? I, I don't philosophically like splitting up
0: the GM and head coach on a different timelines because of this. Then you you can really craft a narrative in both directions at all times, and I think it creates a level of friction that I'm personally uncomfortable with. Um, so, again, I'm going to use the San Francisco example. Chip Kelly had one year there. The San Francisco had no earthly idea whether or not Chip Kelly would have been successful in San Francisco or not. But they decided that when they moved on from Trent Balky, they were just going to move on from both and reset the whole thing. These times where one person gets to stay and one person gets to go. Cause obviously there's talk on the other side of, uh, the two Jersey teams here with the Jets on whether or not their head coach goes and their GM stays and these conversations happen in all these places. I don't, I, I don't like when you split it up because it becomes so. Uh, nebulous in terms of how to do that and, and who's in lockstep and who's setting the direction of this. Um, if this is Dave Gettleman's vision and this coach is able to take the players that he's been collecting and he's the best person to maximize them, then I don't see it as a beginning. If it was, okay, we built in a certain light with Shermer, and now we're no longer going to build in that way. We're going to build in a different way in this Joe Judge way Then it is a start and I don't think I've heard an answer to anything like that you know, in that transition period. I and mean, you probably know better than I, uh, in terms of how they framed that when they brought this in. Was Joe here because they didn't like the build and the coaching? Or is Joe here because the build's been fine, but the coaching needed help?
1: And I don't know, to be honest, I don't know if they clearly ever really answered that question. I think that... What they said was that they thought Gettleman was the right general manager going forward, but but I I think that question is sort of open ended. So my my question for you, you know, as we talk about as we talk about this, and if the Giants were going to move on from Pat Shermer, and I know they hate to move on from a GM after two years, and you hate to keep that cycle going. I mean, would it have made more sense to move on from Dave as well? Yeah, I, I'm
0: of the opinion that if you're good, if you decide you're going to move on from one, you got to move on from both. Like to me, you bring those people in together, you know, and they they come in together and they lead together, and this is this is their build. I I don't like the friction. I live this stuff in in Philadelphia. I've watched it in so many places over the last ten years. You know, I keep bringing up that San Francisco, the John Harbaugh, Trent Balky fights and the Chip Kelly, uh, Howie Roseman fights and these, these things that have gone down in places. Uh, and I'm not saying New York's like that. They're not, I don't think they're publicly or even privately fighting to the same degree. I just think it creates an opportunity for friction and narratives and who's pulling the owner's ear in which direction. I just don't like, that's what makes me uncomfortable from a team build perspective. I think if you're, if you're building in a vision, then you bring those people in as a unit, because uh, again, we can't even answer the question here of what what is the measuring stick that they're going by, um, because no one knows what what led to the Shermer decision, at least publicly, from that standpoint. So I think you know, for the purpose of the conversation, we should probably treat it as beginning, and then look at what has to happen moving forward. I would imagine that's probably where. We'll, so they have a chance to answer that themselves. Um, but I, my gut would tell me they're probably looking at this as a new start.
1: So before we actually move on to the state of the roster and what they have, I guess the 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 sort of wrap up question on on Dave and on the general manager situation with the Giants. They're zero three, you know. Um, Dave always says we think there are better days ahead. Joe always says it's not about where we are. It's about what we're building. It's about where we're going. But at 0-3, with Daniel Jones sort of, I mean, there's there's potential there, but the same type of mistakes continue to happen over and over. We continue to see offensive line struggles. If this team goes 2 and 14 or 3 and 13 can can you can you go forward with Dave or do you have to do you have to go out and find a GM who aligns with 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 Joe Judge and that that the Giants could go forward with perhaps as a team I think if you're
0: You're sitting in the, the Mara shoes and you're, you're trying not to listen to, uh, emotion and you're trying to be as logical as you can about it. If you sat down with the Pat Shermer decision and said, we were building in a certain light where we were uncomfortable with that build. We were uncomfortable with that coaching. That's why we made made this move. We're going to pivot everything to our new coach and build in their like. Then this first season is just that—it's just a first season. Uh, if you sat down and you said we're comfortable with the build, we like the way things are coming along, we just need a different type of coach to extract more from it, then I would be uncomfortable at the end of the season with those kind of results um, because you you've invested a lot in some premium positions that you would hope would be starting to show some returns. Um, you know the the league from a rule structure is built for what they call um, uncertainty of outcomes. And basically, if you build where everybody, from a rule perspective, is closer to 8-8, and it just leads to better games, right? You you get teams that are competitive with each other, increases engagement and viewers and everything else. When you see two teams that are going to play equally, like we had last night with the Chiefs and the Ravens, everyone's interested in that game. When you're going to watch a game... Where the best team in the league plays the worst team in the league and it's a 20 point spread. It, it's not as interesting to watch. And so I think that most teams should be in a situation where even in a bad year, you're looking at six and 10, unless you've got really considerable injuries to premium positions. Um, so when you start to go below that, it's a, it's a pretty alarming situation.
1: So how much of what we've seen from the Giants especially Sunday when they just didn't look good how much of what we've seen you know could be you know you don't want to make an excuse but how much of what we've seen could you look at and say well they didn't have an off season on the field they had all the you know all the the shortened training camp and no preseason games how much of that can you look at and say With a new coach, schemes, they just haven't had a fair opportunity to prepare this team. Or do you look at it and you say, this roster is just not good?
0: I mean, everybody had the same offseason. So obviously it's just a coaching change and installing new things. I will say that first, you know, almost to the first half, certainly the first quarter into the second quarter, that was a competitive game. I thought the Giants defensively were playing pretty well. Um, getting a lot of pocket collapsing from the big guys inside, had some good blitzes and pressures from guys like Blake Martinez, you know, obviously in, in plugging in the Logan Ryans and guys like that, you know, that you just added recently. Um, and so like the pattern matching and some of the conceptual things there, I thought coaching wise looked sound. Execution wasn't there. They weren't exchanging things against the man beaters that the 49ers are putting in. Um, They weren't passing those off well. They weren't disciplined in some of those pieces. Some guys just weren't matching up. Jordan Reed was beating the Giants' corners over and over again in that period of time. So that, to me, didn't look like a coaching issue. They looked like they were coached well. The players just weren't keeping up on some of that stuff, at least in the first half. On the offensive side, that was a harder one because you know Slayton's not – a, a true number one in my eyes where he's going to go out and be able to beat single bracketed uh single coverage or bracketed coverage um consistently you can he does great things and you can scheme him to success but he's you know not in the likes of a you know the Julio Jones or what have you you know you know where where Tate's skill set lies Um but they're they're not separating in and of themselves across the board in that room not having Shepard Hurts but that you know that room's not there so they're not opening up the same way Daniel Jones had some opportunities I thought to make some plays where he checked some things down and didn't take big chances you know we talked about where the offensive line didn't execute um, so there were there were pieces across the board where they they weren't getting it done At the same time they were in it with that banged up Niners team for a while what Really hurt is the way it turned over in the second half and the, not being able to keep up and, and one San Francisco dialed into what those things were, they kept working on those weaknesses and, and the Giants didn't have answers. And part of it is roster and, and part of it is just the in-game adjustment piece. Um, obviously the second half, there, there's, there's, you're not going to come away with that with a positive on, Hey, you know, you can hang your hat on this thing. Um, second half is just not good.
1: Right. So, you know, the, the issue is you look at, as you said, get, there have been three drafts now in the Gettleman era as GM. And do you begin to, you know, I, I looked at it and I thought there's a pretty decent young core in place. And, and yet there's part of me now that starts to wonder about What Will Hernandez is going to be and what Lorenzo Carter is going to be and, and, and what Daniel Jones is going to be because we just don't see as of yet. We know what the, what the strengths are with Daniel Jones, but we also know what the, what the weaknesses are. And at some point you want to see those, those weaknesses, you know, you want to see those turnovers happen less frequently. I, I just begin to wonder if this young core is is as good as I thought it was. I mean, you you have you have thoughts on on just the state of the roster, the state of of the young core that's in place right now.
0: You have a, a grading scale with every team, and most teams go color coded. And everywhere I was, um, you know, blue is kind of like premium color, blue chipper type thing. Uh and then you'd come down and, and some teams would go with like a purple as like kind of a, you know, ascending, but could be blue here soon. And then below that most places like a red. Right. And a red was a solid starter, a guy that you go out there, you win with, they get a job done. You're 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 not actively looking to replace them. But there is also an understanding that they might not be a playmaker. Right. They're not necessarily in that blue category, but they're getting things done. There's a lot of red players in the roster. There's a lot of guys that can get things done, you know, down Tomlinsons and Dexter Lawrence's, and you, even the Carters um, of the world, you know, are turning into to red players. Well, Hernandez is looking like a red player. The problem is, I just don't know where the blue guys are. You know, when you look at the roster, I don't know, I don't know where the blue guys are, and I don't necessarily see a bunch of purple guys that are right there on the cusp of becoming. Blue player. Um, obviously, Barkley can be a blue player. Um, that notwithstanding, that it just it's a solid group of players. But then you need you got to have some playmakers. And if you don't have playmakers, then you have to scheme to that. And so you know the team they just played with the Niners. Niners don't have explosive weapons right now in their skill groups. And a lot of it's based on injury, but. Kendrick Bourne and Muhammad Sanu, um, the rookie Ayuk that they were using, Jeff Wilson, undrafted free agent at running back, they were scheming those guys to success along with the Jordan Reeds and what have you that they put together. They were scheming those guys to success, and so that becomes Garrett's undertaking, is if you're going to have red players, then you have to create the explosives schematically if they're not just going to be there because your guys are better than the other team's guys. Um, So I, I, it's not a, it's not a roster devoid of players by any stretch of the imagination. But again, if you were to sit down and say, who are the, who are the three guys, you know, in every game are going to be on par, you know, with the other explosive players in the league, you know, chance to be all pro types, you know, who are the blue guys on the roster? I mean I, I'm not sure who I'm jumping up and down to put on that list.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's the weird part of, of the whole of the whole thing is you you can't look at it and say, Well, this guy's a bust and that guy's a bust and this guy was a terrible pick and that guy was a terrible player. You just outside of outside of, of Saquon you don't have anyone on that roster that that an opposing team would fear and or or a guy that that can change a game for you and and that's that's the hard part I, the way i look at it is you just don't have that that guy and i mean is that an indictment of, of the roster build I, I i don't even know how to, i don't even know how to look at that part of
0: it is and this is the hard thing, and it's it's hard in scouting circles, and it's certainly hard in the fandom thing. Not every draft produces um, such a copious amount of blue chippers that every team can walk away with them. So even just having first-round picks, even just having high first-round picks. Like if we sat here and went year by year the last ten years and just looked at top ten picks, you're going to have years where nine of the ten top ten picks are practically irrelevant relative to draft status, right? I mean, again, top 10 picks are looking at blue chippers and they're not always there. So I know this, again, this is what sounds weird inside scouting circles and inside fandom. There's an element of luck to team building, right? If you're not, if the market doesn't give you those kind of quarterbacks, if the market doesn't give you like, man, wouldn't it be nice to have a top four pick this year if you would need a quarterback? because the market's going to be stocked with them Lawrence and Fields and Lance and what have you like man this is going to be a great year for quarterbacks and then you got years where it's EJ Manuel and Geno Smith so every year doesn't guarantee that every position is stocked with premium players uh, but when you go and you spend first round pick on a corner and then obviously you have to let him go that's a hurts and when you're expecting Will Hernandez to be more than a red player in order to get value out of Barkley and it's not there, that hurts. And then, obviously, adding the tackle later in the build. And he's obviously a, a fine athlete and was a fine player in college. He's got to dial in on some angles. Um, he's got to relax in terms of when he releases and his hands and stuff. He's he's getting a little bit ahead of himself in terms of when he fires. I think he'll be okay but it's not dialed in yet. Unfortunately, the rookie down the road with the Jets, he looks better right now. Um, Doesn't mean Thomas can't be better. It's it's tough from that standpoint. Um, But when you, again, it's it all hangs on a quarterback. I mean, you come back to all of this, at the end of the day, every team build hangs on a quarterback. And somewhere in your first three years, you pull the trigger on a quarterback and decide this is your guy. And if you hit on that, it can cover other issues because every, every team in the league, uh, every GM in the league has picks in those first couple years and those first couple rounds of those first couple years. They would like to have back, right? They did not work out. The San Francisco are sitting here talking about, you know, they took Solomon Thomas third overall. That didn't really work out for them. They do these things where they draft these players highly, but if you have the quarterback, you can make up for it and so everything with this build hinged on Daniel Jones being a playmaker and the quarter the design quarterback stuff he had some 20 plus explosive things but outside of that with the weapons that are there that unit is not creating explosives
1: so you know we've gone into the Daniel Jones discussion so I, th- I think we need to dive into that a little bit deeper. When you look at Daniel Jones, you know we talk about, you know, there's no Sterling Shepard around him. There's no, there's no superstar game-changing wide receiver. Even, even with Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram is a guy that that I don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, what. Giants fans or the Giants hoped he would be and I'm not quite sure Jason Garrett completely knows how to use him at this point but just you know your thoughts on on Daniel Jones as as far as where he is right now I think he's started 15 NFL games where is he and and how much optimism do you have you know that he can get to that to that top tier sort of franchise level you know guy that you can that you can win because of sort of you know that that level that that the Giants really need him to get to
0: I always try to have this debate with myself because I think people get locked into their previous thought we anchor to a past opinion so if we didn't like or somebody coming out we like never let go of that. Or if we like somebody coming out, we never let go of that because it all becomes this. Look at me. I'm, I'm so smart. I'm right. I really don't want to get into that. So I have to admit right off, like Daniel Jones was not for me in the way I view quarterback play these days because with the, because of the 24 to 36 month calendar, because of the restrictions in the CBA on practice and development, um, because of all these things, it's so hard to put all the pieces in place so that a quarterback can just step in and utilize the people around him. Um, you know, Think back to those years with the Super Bowl years of the Giants and Eli Manning. There were so many pieces everywhere, offensive line, skill players. The defenses were always good in those years. And Eli could just go out and use all those pieces around him and obviously champion that team to holding up a Lombardi trophy. I think it's really, really hard to replicate in the NFL right now. And so I look at quarterback as a position that in and of itself has to have some sort of playmaker element and that creates a risk reward scenario. The guys that are going to be doing things that can make explosives will also create the potential for turnovers. There's no doubt about it. The Buffalo Bills have this and Josh Allen, you know, he's going to have a, a dynamic play and then he's going to have a head scratcher. And to me, Jones, has the head scratchers like anybody would with this many starts under his belt. That's not the issue, but I don't see the explosives. I don't see him creating in those, the design quarterback stuff he did, you know, he had, again, he had some big gains that way. So if they want to continue to do that, we can start to see more of an element here, but from setting up in the pocket in the way that, that, that the routes are coming and the guys are separating. It's just not, it's not coming. He's not creating that way. And I don't know, again how a guy can get to the upper echelon these days without either being that playmaker intrinsically or having 2 to 3 blue type players in your offense surrounded by a bunch of reds so that you can really elevate those blues um one of those two is the most common path to it and right now they're they're not on either you don't have enough blues in the room on offense and Jones isn't making the explosives
1: on his own. Um, so it's, it's a tough situation. I think they're averaging 12.7 points per game, which, you know, thank God for the Jets or the Giants would have the worst offense in the league at this point. But you look at it without without Barkley, um, and you talked about Jason Garrett needing to scheme, you know, some of those explosives. Can they... Get to a point where they're playing, you know, competent offense that they can win games with over the next 13 games? I think Garrett's going to have to pivot.
0: Um, I don't think he's going to be able to sit back and do what he's done and get to that point. I mean, you got the Rams coming up, you have the Cowboys coming up, some division games. This new Tampa Bay team, um, you know, some exciting clubs in in Seattle and Arizona as you do that West Coast swing. Obviously, the Giants uh, later on, there's, there's not a whole lot of teams here where you're going to look at it and just say, yeah, the Giants players are going to go beat their players defensively. And so, to me, it, it becomes, this is a test of creativity and scheme. I, I don't... I don't see it as a time anymore where a coach can sit back and draw up something that wins when, you know, everybody executes. And then if everybody executes, then somebody might be there. You got to have these wrinkles. You got to have these elements of saying, I'm going to peel back layers and I'm going to make these guys think and to not be static and to, you know, Not just try to you know run the ball on first down and then you know play from third and seven and stuff like that. I just I think they really have to to look at doing this differently, and I just don't know enough about Garrett as a person to know if that's something he's willing to do or something that Judge would allow him to do. I mean, when you hire an offensive coordinator, it's because they embody the vision of the offense that you want to see, and to me, they're just they play a very static game. We're going to line up and we're going to run our route concept. And then our guys have to beat your guys. And that puts a lot of onus on the players to beat the defensive players as opposed to, okay, I'm going to occupy the, the eyes of the linebacker and the safety. I'm going to pull them here. I'm going to make them think this. We're going to add this wrinkle. You know, Andy Reid last night with the shovel pass to the fullback on the goal line. Off of the, you know, looking like the option play with Mahomes to, to Hill, you know, they just got to add more. I just think they've got to really start to be creative and how they do that. They have players here that you can be competitive with, but you really have to scheme them to success, I think, to, to put together winning football.
1: It's funny because I think they are trying to do that on the defensive side of the ball. I think that, that Joe Judge has, has brought in Patrick Graham and it's in part to be creative, not to be static, to, to scheme things up, to, you know, to do things differently. So it's, it's funny. You know, to think that they would go the opposite direction on offense, you, you do you find that to be to be a little bit odd?
0: I do. I, I think you're you're hitting a good point there. You, you would you would think that a philosophy that you believe in defensively like that to create that to have the DBs on the field like they have to move them around to create these matchups, these you know, and you can see in the build, these versatile pieces that they put in 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 Love and Peppers and Ryan and drafting McKinney. There was a, a value placed on DBs that can work the middle of the field, take different matchups, a little bit of blitz, a little bit of coverage, a little bit of run support. Like, I mean, they they added some some elements like that, um, and then you know, trust my outside lane guys like Bradbury to do their job. Not that he had the greatest game against San Francisco; I had some better weeks before that. Um, but you saw that in that build, and then offensively. It's just, let's line up and have our guys beat your guys. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's not reflective in that way. Yes, I think that's a, an interesting thing to say the least.
1: All right, Dan, final, final question for you here. And it's sort of the, the down-the-road question that the Giants fans are already asking, but they really don't want to think about. And it, it circles back to Daniel Jones. If the Giants are bad enough to be in that conversation for, you know, for the Trevor Lawrence's and the Justin Fields and the and the Trey Lances that you know those those top three quarterbacks, if they're in that top two or three, you know, pick in the draft range, is it smarter for the Giants to, you know, if they're if they're that bad, which means they're what one in fifteen? So, if they're in that conversation, do you trade out of that pick and try to get as many pieces as you can to build around Daniel Jones? Or do you just start over?
0: Me personally, I'm grabbing one of those quarterbacks if I'm there. Um, You know, I, I, there's a a quote that I really like, you know, don't hang on to a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. You work to make decisions, everything you do. Everybody does in every industry. It's no different in football. You spend time, you think about it, you try to pull together information, you make the decision you think is best at the time, and then you, that decision goes into action. And if that doesn't return what you expected, I would think people would be prepared to pivot and to make adjustments as necessary. Um, so if you're sitting there at 1 in 15, and the, you know, the remaining players are relatively healthy. You're playing through. You're not, you know, you don't lose three linemen during the year or whatever. Then to me, that unfortunately, that's, I think, an indictment on the quarterback position not creating. I mean, cause you should be able, if you've got a guy that can go win you games, wouldn't you think you'd win games? Like, wouldn't that line of logic continue that if that guy was that guy, you mean, you might not win eight or nine, but you'd win five or six. And so if I'm staring down one, two, three wins in a year, I, I just, you don't win in the NFL without the quarterback. And so I'm going to keep taking chances at quarterback until I have the guy that goes and wins me games. And so yeah, if I'm sitting there in that position, um, I'd be looking to acquire whatever one of those quarterbacks I like the most versus my draft spot, um, and go from there.
1: All right. Hey, before I let you go, why don't you, uh, tell folks about the, about the Scouting Academy, about anything else you've got going on?
0: Uh, so for, for those of you who, you know, may not have heard about us before, we started seven years ago. We brought a, a large group of NFL executives and coaches together that wanted to help people learn more about what it is that scouts do and how to do it. We built an online class that allows people to come in and experience that, do that work, receive feedback. Uh, personalized instruction and, uh, and really uh, an attention to honing that craft and building foundations. We've had alumni, we've had 40 go on to NFL opportunities. We have over 130 in college football. We've had people at everything from next gen stats to PFF to sports info solutions. We've had agents. We've had beat writers. We've had media analysts. We've had so many different people that had decided they wanted to learn more about the game and apply it in some way. And we've been able to work with them and help them um, leverage this and, and advance their careers. And it's been really, really rewarding to work with so many good people uh, over these years. So we just kicked off our fall semester a couple weeks ago. Um, but you can check us out at scoutingacademy.com. Uh, we also try to publish a lot of stuff, just putting content out there to help people learn on our YouTube channel, YouTube slash the Scouting Academy, on our social media channels on Twitter and Instagram. Um, where we're breaking down plays and and showing you where things are at and and hoping you guys learn something along the way.
1: All right, Dan. We always learn from talking to you, so we appreciate your time. Giants fans, thank you very, very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.